Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pine Lander Podcast. My name is Paula Favor. I'm here with my Ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is Friday, the 27th of January, 2023. Can you believe it? We're this far into January. I think... I think the, years, the years just keep... It seems like they just speed up. You know? I think... I was just thinking that, that uh, now that I'm 50, uh, it just seems like it just goes twice as fast, three times as fast. It's just crazy. Yeah. No, uh, no, no slowing down. And, of course, you know, with everything going on, too, it just seems yeah. like, you know, it's like, you know, pure entertainment. There's a lot going on in the world. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're coming up on uh, the uh, war in Ukraine. It's almost a full year since uh, Russia's uh, invasion, at least in that sense. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot more people getting involved. A lot of things going on there. We've got uh, China still rattling the saber with Taiwan. Uh, and then stuff domestically, a lot of stuff going on there. A lot oh, of stuff Lord. found in garages, uh, <laughs> and then All even over the place. Yeah, and then some uh, disheartening news, you know, locally in uh, the Fort Bragg area. Just certain stuff that happens. Uh, yeah. But, but you know, I think um, uh, what we wanted to do in today's podcast is talk about something uh, that's important to every warrior. And, uh, and kind of revisit uh, the warrior virtues and that theme uh, because there's a, we have a book coming out uh, soon, uh, The Five Warrior Virtues. What? Another book? Yes. And I think it's timely. Oh, man. We've been, th- well, I mean, this is the whole reason why we're even here. That's true. I mean, it's sort of our entire theme is just, yeah. you know, Building, developing, passing information on to warriors. I mean, it, this precisely. is just this is just a big piece of that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I've been. This is a book that is needed to be uh, written for a long time. Uh, it's stuff that I've been just kind of chewing on. Mike and I have been chewing on for a, a long time. Is uh, the fact that men, young men, are failing. Young men are failing. I would say for the last uh, decade or so. I mean, this is a this is a, uh, it's been a sustained attack on uh, manhood, you know, uh, not toxic masculinity. We're talking about biblical mis- uh, masculinity. We're talking about real men, and that uh, goes along with chivalry, just being a real man. Uh, this has been under attack for a long time, and, and so we wanted to, uh, you know, uh, we'll take a break here and there with uh, uh podcast, but we wanted to start one on the warrior virtues again. So just that idea uh, that, uh, you know, I ask people that, you know, when I, we get a new class, I ask them, do you think young men are failing today? You know, I've never had a guy say, no, I've never had somebody say, uh, no, we're doing just fine. You know, it, you know, I always ask guys, okay, these, these are, Young Americans, they're coming through the SF pipeline. They want to, you know, win wars for America. And I ask them, how do you think we're doing as a nation as far as, like, you know, masculinity? And they, uh, they don't think we're doing very well. And, I, and that's pretty sad. Yeah, there's been, a, there's been an assault on the family for, God, I dare say five decades. Yeah. Um, maybe longer. But I certainly um, recall some of the big movements in this country, like in the 1970s particularly. I'm thinking about um, uh, the whole sort of um, anything goes, you know, free love society, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole uh, anti-war sort of anti-establishment movement, uh, feminism, and a lot of those um, 
movements yeah. that at the base of them, I mean, I think we could all look at and say, yeah, we could do some, there's some improvements in these areas, but I don't think, I think now we're looking back at a lot of these big movements and we're realizing exactly what they were, uh, which was uh, pretty much the same thing as BLM is today, Antifa and a lot of these other uh, so-called movements. And they really have nothing to do with fascism. I mean, for instance, if you take Antifa, right, the anti-fascists, um, these people could care less about fascism. That's, that's, just, that's just a front. And I hate to say it, but it, it's almost looking like I think a lot of people, I think you could make the argument that feminism had nothing to do with empowering women. Um, and I, I could go on and on. No, I think that's, that's – the- I you, think there was of, a good part of feminism, absolutely. Like from the nineteen, uh, you know, uh, you know, votes for women, nineteen nineteen, nineteen twenties, yeah, women's suffrage, nineteenth I mean, amendment, yeah. you know. But the the what I agree with you on is the pendulum swung, it just kept swinging, and there were people that hijacked anything good from that, and now it's like you know anything a man can do, I can do, and not really. Well, no, but, I don't. I don't even. That's I don't, whole, even, I don't you know, even think it has anything to do with that. I mean, I I honestly, I mean. You know, maybe I got a tinfoil hat on, but I honestly think that the people uh, behind a lot of these movements um, are were purposely out to destroy yeah. the fabric of American society. And the family, of course, is the building block. I mean, everything comes from the family. I mean, that's the nuclear, that's the brick, right? Yeah. Um, I'll even go more tinfoil hatted. Okay. It'll be a biblical tinfoil hat. But this is a demonic attack to destroy the family. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, yeah. I think this is absolutely a spiritual war. I think yeah. I think all this is. Yeah. And I think um, if you don't recognize that, I think as military-minded people that we are, I mean, we, we did a career in the military. We're always, you know, we're always trying to evaluate our enemy. Mm. That's, that's just sort of part of our makeup. And uh, so we're always looking, you know, like, what's going on here? Like, what's, like, Let's look behind the curtain. Like, what's really happening here? Who is who? Who is the enemy? You know, what what is their intent? Um, because you can't be successful defending yourself or defeating the enemy unless you understand your enemy. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it is spiritual. I think you have to understand that if you don't recognize your enemy, um, he's got you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, young men are failing. Just this idea. So I read uh, quite a few books working on this thesis for the five warrior virtues. And that should be coming out hopefully pretty soon. But uh, one of the books that I read that uh, were really so telling, I mean, really just put a microscope over this problem. There's really two of them. One, a woman's book, uh, Christina Hoff Summers, her book, The War Against Boys. So she kind of diagnoses this problem. She looks at young men and why they're failing and, uh, you know, looking at the future of how this is going to go, looking at the trajectory of how we're castrating, you know, boys, young men. Um, and I mean that in a real way, in some literally, but, uh, yeah, today literally. Yeah. So just the, uh, I guess, uh, moral castration of boys, the, uh, just kind of taking the role and just kind of, What's that? You know, gender roles, uh, how how men are raised. And just looking at that, she says this. Uh, our sons are, uh, these young men who are failing are our sons, and they are people with whom our daughters will build a future. If our boys are in trouble, so are we. And so, I mean, just looking at the big picture here. Uh, and if we look at, and you know, you would you could argue about when this all started, and we could try to figure that out, but really we know we can kind of diagnose the problem. And, and uh, one of the saddest things I've heard somebody say lately was somebody I work with, and he said, our warrior class is dying. And it's true. I mean, he's absolutely, uh, he's on point with that expression. It's yeah, sad. Think about it. Well, I don't even think it's, unfortunately, I don't even think it's debatable at this point. Um, our warrior class generally uh goes into type of warrior type professions okay firefighting law enforcement uh, the military I mean I could go on and on um 
and, and, and all of these organizations are seeing a decline in, in their ability to do their, their work, okay? Um, and we're all noticing that. We're noticing problems within law enforcement. We're noticing problems, especially within the military. My goodness, okay? Um, it, for those of us that um, are still very much involved and in touch with the military, um, it's evident. And people in the military know it as well. Um, and they're concerned about it. And I think most of us are just kind of hoping, well, this is just a phase and we'll get through it. But I'm not really seeing a phase. I'm really yeah. seeing a slow sort of decline, and it is troubling. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, a lot of people of, um, with brains see this. So here's a, here's a big thought here. Uh, I, you know, I took about a year to look at this problem, and I read a lot and kind of uh, digested uh, what a lot of other people have written on this. So just think about this, uh, that our, the way our American values, beliefs, and principles were once passed down to the next generation of men was through really three strands. Uh, we could argue that family, tradition, and then I would you could say church, community, community, right? So I say church because you know, I'm a I'm a Christian, and that's where I got a lot of my values. Well, it used to be one and the same. But you could be at a synagogue, you could be at a Catholic church. I mean, you could you're gonna the idea is you're gonna get these values from that faith community, mm-hmm. okay? And then uh, largely, probably more than any of that, any, anything else, any other strand would be your family, your father, your mother, you know, how you interact at the dinner table. And you, yeah, the, the extended family, right? Yeah. Grandparents, right? Your crazy uncles, uncles. Aunts, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. And then tradition. So let me just, uh, let me just kind of lament about one loss of a big, one of the big strands there is uh, tradition. Let's say Boy Scouts. So uh, anyone that hasn't been under a rock for the last 10 years knows what's happened to the Boy Scouts. They're now scouts uh, for reasons which I believe uh, to help them uh, bail out of bankruptcy was to bring in young girls, women, young ladies, girls into the ranks uh, because the Boy Scouts were failing. So probably that. And uh, so opening the ranks to uh, females uh, obviously has changed, you know, the absolute uh, makeup of the Boy Scouts. I don't even think even... And now it's not Boy Scouts, it's just Scouts. Yeah, and I don't even think uh, the younger generations even um, have any familiarity with the way the Scouts used to be. So for those of us that have been around, you know, at least a little while, um, we've seen the scouts really just just completely fall apart. Yes. I think for the younger generations, it's, I don't think they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, they've always kind of been, you know. But, no, there was a day when the when, when you the Boy Scouts were very much a part, an integral part of the fabric of American life. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about family and community and church, the scouts were right there. I mean, one of your parents might have been a scout leader, yeah. certainly was involved. Um, usually meetings a lot of times were held at, at the community church. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was all sort of part of the fabric of, of American culture, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what the beauty of the Boy Scouts was. You could be Catholic, Protestant, Buddhist, whatever, who cares? I mean, of course I care about that, but the idea is you go to the Boy Scouts, nobody's going to, you know, ostracize you. But the idea is there was, there was an element of that, of spirituality. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the majority of the Boy Scouts were, of course, Christian. Uh, but, like, you know, the first time that I went camping was with the Boy Scouts, not ranch school, not basic training. First time I had uh, rope in my hands and I was working with knots was not uh, anywhere else but with the Scouts. Uh, first time I tried to cook grits, you know, and burn myself and <laughs> start a fire and, and uh, just – all those things and learn, you know, how to pack your rucks and all that. I mean, and then the camaraderie mm-hmm. and learning from that uh, group of young men and in, in dreaming, you know, about, you know, adventure and, and all of that. Not, not having a phone in your hand, you know, out in the woods. There's, there's a part of, uh, 
uh, of a young man that needs that, and they're not having it. And they're 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 honor. Yeah, scouts honor. Yeah. So that that kind of that segues me into uh, a book that I really liked a lot of uh, what he has to say, and that's uh, uh, Philip Z- uh, Zimbardo. But Zimbardo, in his book, A Man Interrupted, uh, he co-authored this with Nikita Colombe. And uh, fantastic. I mean, if you don't know who Philip Zimbardo is, uh, he was the one who had that uh, prison experiment. And uh, he was able to look at, he's a psychologist, you know, from back in the 70s. Uh, anyway, he, he looks at, uh, the, you know, how the changing norms have affected young men. You know, and how they're opting out of society, how they're just, uh, just quitting. You know, they're not engaging with society, and they're getting bo- either bored with it or they're. And, and the big thing is this, and it's so telling, is young men are told what they can't do, but they're not given a, a positive example of what they should do. And so there's, you've got homes where, you know, upwards of fifty percent, sixty percent, where there is no father. There's no father figure. There's no male positive uh, role model. And so now they don't even know what that looks like, but all they can be, all they hear all day is browbeating about what's toxic masculinity. And it's really, you know, they have no, no one to look up to, like the scouts would offer you. Like your your father would give you, like your your uncles, like your the older men in the scout troop, and and this that and the other. And so he puts uh, his finger on a live nerve and just says, "Hey, look, this is this is why our society is going to fail, not just young men, because we're talking about a huge swath of society. They're young men, and these young men are going to grow up. Okay, so the workplace. Here's segue into another thought." Well, yeah, I mean, but here, here's the here's the question. I mean, what what does it matter? Oh yeah, well, here's why it matters. Okay, so <laughs> so uh, so micro, dirty jobs. He was interviewed, uh, and you know, recently he said that there are about seven million able-bodied men sitting out of the workforce. So they're just sitting at home. They're in their mother's and father's ba- their mom's basement because their father's gone. There's no father, and they're playing yeah. Xbox. And they're going to go blind with porn, right? These are the guys, they're just not, they're not doing, you know, plumbing, electrical work, and they're not doing all these traditional skilled trades. And, and this is what Mike uh, Rowe says, for every five men that leave the workforce, only two enter. So five men leave, two men enter. That's not a good, uh, you know, Thunderdome uh, quote, you know. Just think about that. You do the math. You know, over now, you just like where we are right now. You have seven million sitting out. You just do the math every year, exponentially. That's going to be more and more. They're going to be living off of EBT. That are not going to be uh, productive members of society. They're not going to find uh, a place to where they can find their niche, right? And then you have more people on the government teat. And then, you know, less men are real men. And so you have a weaker society, uh, and then on and on and on. So this is very depressing, right? Yeah, I mean, one of depressing. the one of the people that I really like to uh, uh, listen to is a guy by the name of uh, Doug Casey. And uh, he he throws articles out there um, every now and then that I, that I find interesting. Um, and, w- and one of the things that he's been doing lately is he's been talking about the the parallels between the United States and Rome. And he's been doing these in parts. But... Um, uh, and that's what's scary, the, that parallel. Well, I mean, when you read... And when you read them, you know, you're like, holy smoke, you know. Yeah. So for those of you that, uh, you know, like like history and you know, have studied some of, uh, you know, the, the rise and fall of Rome, uh, sp- particularly the fall of Rome, um, I, I think there's a lots of parallels, and Doug Casey's been bringing a lot of those out. But one of it is, you know, kind of, you know, the way Rome was, and Rome was comprised of, um, relied on its warrior class, right? It's its citizens, 
um, basically uh, landowners, right, farmers, small farmers. Uh, but part of their duty to Rome um, was to provide their own equipment and serve in the legion. And when uh, Rome was faced with um, threats from, from uh, the outside or whatever, okay, uh, people would set down the plow, right, to put the plow away to the side, and the family would do the best uh, carrying on the farm, and they would throw on their gear and go. And towards the end of uh, the end of Rome, uh, that you, you didn't have that anymore, and that was one of the reasons why. Um, how goes the warrior class? Is how goes your empire in this case? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't say it any better than Edward Gibbons. Edward, Edward Gibbons, if you don't know, he wrote uh, that volum, voluminous right. work, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Now, not a, a fan of Christianity by any stretch, right. but he did write that the, the decline of Rome was due to immoderate greatness and excess liberty. Just think about that. Immoderate greatness. I mean, and they got weird. Uh, and towards the end of Rome, you know, it, we, we do have a lot of jokes about, uh, you know, before the, the barbarians came in and hacked up all the senators, there, there were just uh, lasciviousness, uh, madness. And, uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Immoderate greatness and just unchecked uh, licentiousness. But on that same note, so I'm glad you brought that up, is uh, uh, looking back at uh, why Rome fell, right? You had uh, a guy named Vegetius. So Vegetius, uh, he wrote uh, a great volume. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It had come to me. Uh, but he looked back and he said, hey, uh, you know, Rome fell because of its warrior class had uh, diminished. And it was no longer, you know, what it was. It wasn't hungry. You know, it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, didn't have the, the principles, the stoutness, the stoutness of heart. And the, um, and because the warrior class disintegrated, you know, Rome disintegrated. So, yeah, here it is. Uh, concerning military matters, a uh, guy's name was Publius, Publius Vegetius Renatus, or just Vegetius. So his book was called De Re Militari in Latin, but it just means concerning military matters. And then he, uh, he lamented because he watched uh, Rome deteriorate all around him. He said the decline of the eventual fall of Rome was due to the warrior class straying away from its ideals, getting weak, the warrior class dying. Uh, so we don't need to chart out a trajectory uh, and wonder where we're going to go as a nation. We can look at the past and say that's where we're going to go uh, because that's actually what has happened to all the empires before that. Yeah, Gibbons is famous for a, a couple of things. Now, the other thing is he sort of uh, dates empires. Yeah. And he says they're good for about 250 years. Scary. Um, yeah, you can do the math. Yeah, we're at 247 coming up this July. Yeah, let's hope he's wrong on that one. Uh, but, yeah, so Vergetius, he would say, he said this. This was his big argument. The warrior class maintains the safety, security, and survival of the state. Or you could say it this way, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. and Weak men create hard times. So I think we all we see, I, I think we all see. <laughs> That's where we're at. That we're in, we're, in, uh, we're in hard times. And it's time, if you follow this, uh, uh, this little, this little uh, limerick, is uh, hard times need to create strong men. So it's time for hard men to rise up and give this nation a backbone again. And even if people don't appreciate it. Well, and they won't. Um, and they and, won't. And yeah. the reason. And they'll call it toxic masculinity. Yeah, and the reason, okay. they, the reason they won't is because the, um, the soy boys yeah. are running everything. And, it, I mean, listen. That's what's in vogue. It's, yeah. yeah and, and, and Because they're safe. Hey, it's, soy boys are safe. Hey, listen, man, it's. It's a great gig, okay? I mean, uh, you hang around, you know, you're making big money off the, you know, hard work of everybody else. Um, but things just get so ate up that eventually 
the warrior class has, has, has got to be like, hey, man, you're going to have to get out of the way, okay? Because, I mean, this thing is the ship's going down, and you're going to have to move out of the way. And they're not going to just slight, you know, they're not just going to get out of the way. They're not just going to hand you the wheel. Um, but the warrior class is going to have to take it because otherwise, you know, we're going to hit the iceberg. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, so because we like to use the Bible. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I love, uh, every time we talk about stuff like this, my, my mind goes back to an episode in the Word of God where you have one of the last judges uh, during the judge period before uh, Saul and David was uh, Eli. And famously, Eli had two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, who were also priests and uh, were just uh, any wayward priests. Right, terrible. But the the Bible actually calls them worthless males. <laughs> worthless males. And and it actually says that uh, they didn't listen to their father because God had determined to put them to death. God was determined. They went so far that God just said, I'm just taking them out. And, and I'm going to do my people good by right. slaying them. And they did. <laughs> That's the idea is they, they were worthless male. And what they did is they had a position of authority and they were priests. And so they were a position of trust, a position of leadership, position of authority. And what they did is they used it to uh, ingratiate themselves. Yeah. And they, they stole from the people's uh, offerings. Uh, they had sex with uh, women who were going to worship at the tabernacle. And, and uh, you just look at this. These guys were thinking with their little heads, and they're thinking with their bellies. And just these guys were prime targets for destruction. Yeah, and, the entire, the entire um, structure now, I, I think you could argue, is occupied by uh, Hophni and, and, and Phineas, right? Phineas. Yeah. Um, and the reason why, here's, here's the big thing, too. Uh, and you know this, uh, uh, an unnamed prophet came and, and uh, rebuked, Eli, because he did not restrain his sons, his boys, yeah. and he did not. And the reason why his sons were slaughtered, and I and I bring this up usually on a uh, Father's Day message, is because Eli failed his sons. He was the father who failed his sons, and he basically let them be destroyed because he would not restrain them. Now, of course, they owned their sin, and they were rightfully destroyed themselves. Uh, but uh, but what a what a message to what can happen to a, a culture, a society. And because you, you look what happened to Israel at this point. Uh, they thought that the Ark of the Covenant, uh, when they were going out to fight the, the Philistines, was going to be like a lucky talisman for them. And you can just visualize Hopmi and Phineas standing real close to it, thinking that would protect them. And they were, of course, hacked up, you know, in sight of the Ark. And then the Ark went away was uh, spent some time in the Philistine lands. And, mm -hmm. and it just showed, hey, look, uh, yeah, look at what worthless men can do if they're at the helm. Um, and, and that's just a fitting argument. Yeah, we're watching that right now. I mean, we're all witnessing that right now. And, and, and if you look at this, we have, uh, you've got whole generation. I mean, I hate to say this sounds terrible, like a generation of worthless males. Right now, before we've we've said generation, you know X, and I think I'm generation X. I'm not sure. I was born in '72. Yeah. So whatever that is, somebody decides what these are. But but this is generation. I mean, you can be mean, but there's just so many worthless males. We can come up with a name. It may not be good. Well, I mean, the, the other thing too is. Um... But that does not it doesn't mean there's... that we can't turn this around. No, no, no. I mean, it could I... be a ship. Correction. Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, yeah. Well. Well. I'm not. Uh, That's why I'm, we exist. <laughs> yeah. I, well, listen. We're not trying. We're, we don't expect to turn the entire uh, male population of the world yeah. around. I mean, that's just yeah. that's unrealistic. Um, but there's a few people. There's always a remnant. There's always a remnant of men. And, uh, and you're not alone. Um, and stay strong, yeah. you know, and, and you may have, you know, you may not have been brought up in the perfect ideal, 
uh, father, mother, you know, going to church every Sunday sort of environment with a strong community and all that. It doesn't matter. You know, you're, you're going to have to figure out what works. And if, if it's not, if, if what you see around you right now isn't working, then you need to go, you know, you need to go back to uh, truths, right? I mean, our historical truths. There's things that work, and we know they work. And right yeah. now, I mean, I look at society. I mean, okay, you know, we bought into all this nonsense, and, and this is what it's gotten us. And I, quite frankly, I'm not impressed. Yeah. You know, are you? No. Yeah, so we talked about uh, the attack on the family. So just yeah. think about it. In this death spiral that we're in with an attack on, on men, uh, just some, some stats here. From the 60s to the 90s, the percentage of children living apart from their biological father was 36%, 60s to 90s. And it had been 17% in the 50s. Yeah. And today, it's estimated that half, half of all young men grow up without a father. Hey, you, don't, you don't need a father. Yeah, it's just showing. Right? I mean, you can Look, just watch the sitcoms. Yeah, you don't yeah. need a father. I mean, they're they're a buffoon anyway. Yeah, just another um, kid. As long as Uncle Sugar's sending you a check every month, you're good, right? I mean, why do you need a father? Why do you need a mom and a dad? Freaking, you know, struggling, you know, working hard. You don't need that. You know, um, we've replaced we've replaced the father. The father's been replaced, and it, it's evident in everything. Think about the, uh, of course, that's what we're hearing, but think about this. Think about some of the, some of the stats. 60% of violent rapists did not have a father at home. 60%. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, 75% of adolescents who commit homicides came no. from fatherless homes. Yeah, no father. 75%. Uh, and then statistics show that Children without fathers are three times more likely to drop out of school. Three times. Yeah, I believe that. So you have what you're, you don't have a stability, you don't have discipline, you don't have role model. Then you can talk about drugs. You can talk about teenage pregnancies. Just just add in all these other depressing stats. Well, I uh, mean, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble here, but in, in any two-parent home, um, there's things that mom provide and there's things that dad provide. And, uh, you know, I certainly in my house, uh, don't do a very good job when I'm trying to provide what my wife provides. Okay. Absolutely. It doesn't matter how hard I try. Okay. Um, it's meant to be a team. It's meant to be yeah. a team. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, even with the team, Paul, and you know, this it's a, it's difficult. Okay. Yeah. Two parent homes are still challenging. Okay. Kids are challenging. They're especially in today's society. I cannot imagine uh, trying to do this as a single parent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and my hat's off to them, okay, but it's not the ideal. And unfortunately, um, if you're not, uh, let's say you find yourself in that situation. I certainly grew up in that situation. But at least back in our day, I think um, we had strong communities. I went to church. I mean, I had, you know, a coach that would put his boot in my butt whenever I needed it. Uh, still had corporal punishment at schools, okay? Uh, and pr- trust me, I was in there getting paddled probably once a week, okay? Um, but there was, everybody was in your backside making sure that you were doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, there was certainly no uh, lack of male role models in my life, okay? I had plenty of them, and uh, they were all telling me how it was supposed to be. But today, I think, if you're a single parent, uh, Especially a single mother. Okay, I got a friend, I got a neighbor that's a single father. He just lost his wife, and you know he's he's struggling as well. Okay, but um, for for the single mothers out there, um, I mean, you really have to work overtime to try to figure out where you're going to get the male role models from. You know, yeah. do you get them involved in sports? Uh, whatever you got to do, but you got to really look hard to make sure. Uh, maybe grandpa, whatever, but uncle. Okay, um, but you really got to work hard to make sure that uh, your kids are getting that. And fathers are important to daughters, probably yeah. even more so than they are for sons. Yeah. Now, we mentioned uh, these three strands of uh, our culture that kind of like held everything together and uh, was able to produce able-bodied young men that could be citizens, able-bodied citizens and warriors. And 
and uh, you know, I'd said family, church, and school. I remember getting spanked at all three of those locations. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, <laughs> the only yeah. place I didn't get spanked at was like the Boy Scouts, but at church, school, I got paddled. Unless, there too. unless you uh, acted up at the scout meeting, sure, you, you got it when you got home. Yeah, and then of course you would be uh, pulled off to the side and uh, you know verbally disciplined. Right. Uh, but yeah, they. I think part of the something I've seen I haven't articulated it uh, before, but just people opting out, people opting out. Yeah. You know, opting opting out of the lives of young men because, well, you know, I can get in trouble. Uh, you know, whatever. Maybe it's not. Uh, uh, culturally accepted anymore, you know, as a older man at school or let's say an older man at church and you see somebody acting up, we still do that. We go, Hey, don't do that. You know, they're yeah, not think, your kids, but you still, you have a responsibility as an adult to say something like, Hey, don't run out into the, to the road. Now people, I think would still do that, but like to try to re- uh, reel in some kids that are acting unruly. There, there is less. And there less. Is, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, the judicial branch um, has done has not done us uh, service. Um, yeah, yeah you, I mean you're right. People are just scared of getting sued. Yeah, losing their job, being ostracized. I mean, we're talking about people that have good intentions, good Samaritans, just trying yeah. to do the right thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's almost scary now. People are like, uh, "No, I'm not going to say anything. You know, yeah. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to intervene here." Yeah, not not just uh, I'm not going to you know like like I said I got my my backside warmed up at school church uh, everywhere but not even that but not even my, I'm not even gonna say anything because I could be called a racist or I could be called whatever a bigot and I can be even defriended on Facebook or whatever man so you have the social sense, yeah. whatever man then lose your job and uh, yeah so that's culturally we're gonna have to fix that. You know, uh, maybe it can start with just strong communities that are, you know, uh, recovering. And this is what we've been talking about the whole time is how do we stop from hitting the iceberg is we return to first principles. Exactly. We return to what is that works, return back to the foundation. We're talking about biblical foundations and and that that is the only thing that's going to keep us from the the giant train wreck. Now, a lot of people are going to be, we're going to have a front row seat for, there's the others a, in the train wreck, but yeah, there's absolutely a, a battle going on right now, and it is uh, this sort of, um, and I think it's a spiritual battle, but I think it's the, the forces of uh, tyranny and uh, despotism, uh, globalism, uh, one world government, your world order. You can call it whatever you want; I don't care. But uh, and then there's the other forces which are. Uh, localization, liberty, freedom, patriotism, family, um, community, and I think that's those. Those are the two forces going on right now, and I and I think you see it everywhere. So, you know, we we certainly advocate uh, the latter, which is sort of disengaging from a failed, uh, bloated system that's just not working. And getting back to first principles, getting back to family, getting back to community, getting back to the basics that yeah. work, that we know work. Yeah, I, I, I say it this way. Uh, we have too many people that just don't give a crap. Yeah. Too many people that just say, whatever, man, this thing's going down. And uh, Well, it, it I probably police, is. Yeah, but I can't I, police up everybody. But Well, uh, I think, and I, and I think there's, you know, I think there's some, validity to that argument but that doesn't mean you you give up and you and you just drown i mean i think what that means is you got to get busy because i think it's difficult um to to return back to a more uh simple um life that we're supposed to have i think i think um returning to our roots is difficult because i think it's very easy to get kind of caught up in in everything no, uh, we we've talked about this a lot before, Mike. Is uh, uh, you know, now you could you know right, wrong, or different, but my grandmother's grandfather, you know, uh, William Thomas Wade, he was from Richmond County. Uh, he fought for the Confederacy. Uh, he was a slave owner, so you got to own your history. 
But one thing he was is he was uh, Tar Heel. And that was his, you know, his uh, identity. You know, he was also an American, but, you know, that, that all those, the whole idea is uh, uh, not to go open a big ball of wax of uh, history. We could go anywhere with that, what I just said. But the idea is he, he identified as, if I could say that, as a Tar Heel. Yeah. You know, he, someone was from uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, New York, whatever. That was their identity. And I think at some point, you know, we've just gotten too big with, I'm a citizen of the world. And, and you know, I'm this, that, and the other. It's like, how about I just, I live in this well, county. Yeah, well, I mean. And that, I concern myself with that. Yeah, I think a lot of yeah. it is just um, the dumbing down, if you will, of, of Americans. Because... I think Americans are taught that uh, every culture is the same and equal, and that's just nonsense. Um, and I can use use anything. I mean, recently, a lot of people have a lot of familiarity with Afghanistan. We've had a lot of people that have served recently there. But uh, uh, one of the uh, things that you'll find in Afghanistan culture is, you know, the dancing boys. Well, I'm sorry, but that's incompatible with Western civilization. We don't we don't do that here. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole, there's a million other things I could bring up, but not all cultures are equal. And there's something to be said, you know, we don't, we don't poop in the street. Yeah. Um, so you have to recognize that. And I think there's, it's, it's ridiculous that we have to all somehow um, uh, put everything, rel- everything's the same, everything's good. And no, it's not. You, know, you have to have some discernment. You have to understand what works and what doesn't work and what, what, what is and what isn't. And uh, our culture is not compatible with a lot of other com- cultures. Now they can do what they want over there. I could care less. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not into r- running Afghanistan anymore. I'm, you know, interested in running Ukraine. But yeah, um, your backyard, I'm, your community. I'm with you. You know, um, we have our standards, and and we should be able to live within those standards and raise our children within those standards. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. Um, so. Something I've lamented about for a while is uh, I'm, I'm working on Masters of Clinical Mental Health. I've had to read a lot of the, the poison uh, that has created a lot of this uh, craziness that we have seen of late, the wokeness and the nonsense. And I've read all that poison. Uh, but one thing that I remember that just really irked me, it just really chapped my butt, is how other cultures are like venerated, you know, uh, you know, whatever, Latino, uh, Asian, whatever. And they're like, oh, that's how the father and the mother operate. And that's like accepted. And you should respect that as a counselor. But your culture, American culture, us just bigoted and you're just wrong. And, you know, I always just wanted to uh, take a flamethrower to all those ideas uh, because it does matter. That is our culture. We were raised that way. Our, the way we were brought up is correct. It, it, uh, the, and I would say from the Bible belt, okay, here in the South, we were raised, uh, with, uh, our, you know, a biblical foundation. And I would say, I would also look at these other states that are going berserk. They don't have that. So, uh, not to just crap on your state, wherever you're at, but my, my whole point is this, we have a culture uh, at least in the South, where it's a biblical foundation, you have, uh, and it does matter, and that needs to be protected also. You know, the biblical foundation for the family, the roles, there's roles for men, roles for women, and uh, and I think they, people can attack that and say whatever they want, but we got to stick to our guns. Um, and I think, I think one of the things that's kept our country from going even more out of control is because of the Bible Belt. And because of the stability uh, of the the, uh, the Christian family that we have, and that's my argument. Uh, if you look at this whole, uh, this kind of a little bit of a diatribe here, but uh, but really, uh, that is a first principle. I mean, this is our country was founded on that: uh, the nuclear family, uh, having a father and a mother, and then children. As God blessed that family, and if we uh, we don't want to say, well, that's just you know, but you know, other cultures are okay. We'll, we'll venerate that, but ours, forget yours. You know, it can just be whatever you want. Well, it can be something else, uh, but it's not going to work. And those families are not going to survive. 
And so that, I mean, I'm just going back to what I always say. If we do things God's way, we get God's results. And that is a result that works. That is the, the, the formula, as you said. Uh, that is the, that's the first principle. That's the foundation. And uh, you, you can't expect to build, you know, without the good materials. So, uh, man, I had to get that off my chest. No, I mean, I think, it's, yeah. I think it's a valid point. I mean, it's, it's like, why are we venerating cultures that um, haven't accomplished anywhere near what we've accomplished? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think sometimes we forget that. I mean, uh, the the fact that we exist, the world is better. I mean, I, I'm sorry I got to break that out, but I mean, yeah. uh, the, the amount oh, of, go there. you know, the technology and everything else that we've done, I mean. Uh, the reason why people aren't goose-stepping. I mean, there's, there's, and, and, there's, uh, peop- there's a reason know. why people are flowing across yeah. the border from all over the yeah. world, okay? It's not because this place is evil, okay? It's because they want to make a better life for themselves. I mean, I, I, I would be doing the same thing, okay? Uh, I'm not an open borders guy because I think that's ridiculous. You don't have a country if you don't have borders, but. I understand why they're coming and I'd want to come here too. And it's not because, um, we have a, um, substandard culture. You know, we have freedom here. We have, uh, ideals, we have principles, um, and people are, you know, people are flocking to that. They, they understand that there's prosperity and, uh, and happiness that comes with that. So, yeah, I think we need to, um, be proud of who we are. Be proud of what we believe in. Understand, you know, what's made us great and return back to those uh, truths. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, and they, I can speak for myself and my family. It has worked. You know, I've been married 27 years. I have two grown daughters. i got a granddaughter. Uh, we've been doing this this way. We've been following the biblical principles for marriage. It actually works. It actually does work. Uh, is not just an abstract. I've lived it out. Uh, you and when you do it that way, um, you know I've noticed. You know, the, the big uh, teaching on this is called, uh, and this is you know we're good ways from where we started, but this is also in this is uh, uh, you know biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, and and you know the biblical manhood is not uh, ex- uh, asserting itself to be served. But what a biblical manhood does is uh, it exists to serve. You know, men serve. You know, we're servants to society. We're servants to our family. We're servant leaders. And that's something that you're not going to hear on CNN, uh, that a, a father and a husband is a servant leader of his family. He would give his life for his family. He works for his family. I mean, and that's, uh, when you look at it that way, what woman doesn't want to submit to a man who would die for her? Who would do whatever he can for his children? It just falls in line. And, yeah, and when you when your wife acts like, uh, you know, that way and submits to your servant leadership, it's like it's a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing, and you wouldn't you don't want to wrong that. And when I saw that, you know, over uh, our first seven years of our marriage was not that, but it, it became that. It got fixed. We did it God's way. We found out, hey, this works. And and we're like, wow, this this you're, is amazing. You're probably a lot like me, which is like every day I'm, you know, trying to get better, okay, at, at being what, uh, living up to what I'm supposed to live up to. Of course. Um, yeah, you don't arrive. Yeah, you know, you, you never yeah. arrive. You're always working on it. You're always uh, checking yourself yeah. um, and going back to the book, trying to figure out where the answers are and like, should I have handled that differently? You know, what's the best way to do this? Yeah, another um, so another man thing. Have an accountability partner. Yeah, Somebody it's go, hey just, man, uh, you can. Yeah, it's that just up. constantly not being um, comfortable where you're at. You know, you're yeah. you're always improving on your position, right? You're always improving yourself. Yeah. Um. So I, I think some people get sometimes get the wrong idea of that. You know, self righteous. Uh, you know, Christian guy or something. You know, that that's probably the farthest from the truth. I mean. Uh, I think uh, if anything, you should it humbles you, and you realize that uh, uh, there's a lot of you have an entire family that's depending on you, and you have a lot of responsibility, and you got to keep working at it. Which I want to kind of get to where we kind of started, which is uh, our concern, of course, is the, the 
the status of warriors in this country, the status of warriors within these within the family. And uh, I think what you've done, uh, Paul, which I really like is, again, you've taken something that can be pretty complicated and um, a lot of material, and you've really condensed it down into five virtues. Uh, five things that uh, you found are uniform uh, throughout the history of uh, the warrior and uh, things that uh, we need to, as men, uh, need to focus on. And uh, so let's get let's get to, because uh, I'm pretty excited about this book. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's just uh, let's introduce the five warrior virtues and, and uh, what they are and talk about them. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so as you said, uh, if you look at uh, all history, you know, and I'm looking at history, I'm talking about uh, codes, warrior codes, uh, poetry, ballads, uh, and these are through the centuries, through various countries, Asiatic, European, African, South America, whatever, North American, and they have uh, basically the same uh, 10 to 12 or so virtues, uh, but when you uh, kind of collapse the sector on this, there's really five. There's really five that exist uh, from ancient to modern. Five virtues are honor, integrity, uh, loyalty, temperance, and courage. Those five. Now, you know, the temperance, not everyone is familiar with that one. You probably, no doubt, everyone's heard of the other four. But temperance is just self-control. It's moderation, self-control, it's self-restraint. It's kind of all of those. Uh, but the five warrior virtues, uh, a concentration of those really will give us, that is really essentially a return to the first principles. A return to, uh, you know, what's not being talked about a lot. So just like the, say the first virtue, honor. Uh, a lot of people have heard uh, that word is used but not a lot of people know what it means. You know, what you know what is honor? And uh, also integrity, same thing. A lot of people use that, but it's like, okay, what does that really mean? Uh, and loyalty and so on. But uh, maybe we have enough time for the first, maybe we can talk about the first virtue a little bit. Which for you is honor. Yeah, so honor. So honor is, uh, now I look at this, I've looked at, uh, as far back as, let's say, Rome, Rome, Greece, even before Rome, the, Greek, the Greeks, Spartans. Uh, and I would say the farthest back would be the Iliad, which is probably about 800 B.C. So you're talking Homer's Iliad, and that word honor just jumps off the page. You're not going to be able to read much of it without seeing that word. And honor is used as a verb and is used as a noun. Uh, so you could say Honor is essentially a quality uh, that's uh, difficult to describe but easily recognized. So we know something's honorable when we see it, and we know that something's dishonorable when we see it too. But uh, honor is almost like a warrior's currency. So honor can redeem something that's bad. It can redeem something bad with honor. Honor is also a prize to be won. So it's a, it's a, it's a goal out there, sometimes just, just out there just floating, this abstract idea. But then you can honor someone personally uh, through a deed, through words, acknowledgement. Of course, the, probably the best example we have is the Congressional Medal of Honor when we you know, put that around someone's neck and then the honor that comes with that. But so honor can be exchanged, it's received. Um, and so just let me give you a little story here. So I looked at this, uh, how honor can be exchanged and how it's a prize. And really that's what uh, honor means in the Greek language, Timae. And you see that word Timae all over the Iliad. That's what Achilles was after. That's what the, you know, the... Uh, the Greeks were after honor, all of them. Were, uh, you know, of course, Achilles was after personal honor. And it's right. not so much of a national value, but uh, it's so honor means a valuation of worth. It means you're worthy. You you have 
uh, you know, a lot of value, you know, personally. And uh, so, so you can understand that when you say, if something lacks honor, you can just say there's no honor in it. There's no honor in that. Some, you know, killing some old man who's defenseless. There's no honor in that. So here's a story. Uh, Admiral Michael Borda. Uh, so uh, Admiral Michael Borda, he was the chief of naval operations uh, 40 years, the top of his game. Uh, he was uh, previously, he was the chief of naval operations top of his game, but back in the Vietnam War, uh, he was on a float. So he was on a carrier. And uh, so he had two combat pins. Uh, which were the Vietnam-era ribbons that he wore. And uh, he put he had two combat pins that went on that Vietnam-era ribbon. And uh, there were some allegations made against him that he wasn't authorized to wear those combat pins. And uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, it, it got to such a point that uh, Borda decided to take the drastic step of firing a bullet into his chest, in fact, where those combat pins were. And he took his own life because of that. And uh, now, as I see him, I see him as an honorable man, albeit, you know, was a, he made a huge mistake of taking his own life. And uh, so it was, it was a noble thing he did, but although misguided. Was it courageous? Yeah. I mean, uh, it was courageous. Uh, he did this, he said in a suicide note, to defend the honor of the Navy. And that's what he thought was slighted. So he didn't think of it about himself. It wasn't. It was this is an amazing thing. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago when um, I want to defend that. You know, we would duel. We would have yeah, duels in this absolutely. country if somebody, uh, you know, challenged your honor, dishonored you, or you felt dishonored. Um, it was nothing to, um, yeah, let's go out and and this was these were there was rules to dueling. I mean, these were, yeah. you know, they weren't like. Uh, Barroom brawls by no means. I mean, a lot of times you had to have somebody come out there. I can't remember a second or whatever they you had called You have it. a second, yeah. Um, you know, weapons were chosen, and there was rules to it, but uh, it was serious. Yeah. It was a life or death uh, event. Honor was about life Usually. or death. I yeah. mean, not always. I mean, sometimes people escaped them. But, um, and the reason why I say that is because, uh, you know, Winston Churchill, I think, we, we've talked about this. You know, which one is, you know, what's the most powerful what's the, what's the most important virtue and uh, and I agree honor is clearly I don't think uh, one could argue that honor is obviously important and because a lot of times it has to do with life or death for people um, but courage Winston Churchill liked courage the best he thought courage was the biggest because he thought all other virtues uh, relied on it Um. Well, courage is uh, uh, the testing point for all virtues. Yeah. So it's it's so it's that, certainly that, important yeah. as well. I mean, these things are not, you can't just discount uh, them. They, they all I, come to play. And I put it this way. I put honor, um, if there's five, if there are just five warrior virtues, as I'm saying, at least five. There's at least five. There's others, but... There's a whole bunch of virtue, but I think I would say that capture honor is, the, the big five for if, sure. If you say five, uh, the virtues are your fingers. Yes. I'm going to say that honor is your thumb. Mm. Because if you don't have honor, you're not holding anything. It's not, you're, you're not, you're nothing. If you don't have honor, even if you're courageous, you made you're a point, nothing. you made a point which I, which I, I thought was interesting. You said, you know, if it's honorable or dishonorable. Yeah. It's something you know. Yeah. And I think maybe, maybe not. Because I think honor also has to have some underpinnings. I mean, I think you honestly have to know right and wrong. That's why I'm saying is that honor right? has a moral component. There is a moral component. I think that's like the, maybe the most important component of it. Mm-hmm. Is I mean you have you have to be um, you have to be grounded in that right? Yeah, well that's why I'm, here's at the foundational level, uh, I'm saying that it's a virtue. A virtue is a praiseworthy excellence. 
So I, that's why some people would Praise say worthy. It's, yeah. So why, they would say, why would be why would honor be a virtue? Why would that be? It is because uh, it's a quality that I ascribe to an action. So it could be not necessarily a courageous action. It probably goes hand in hand with something, and it usually does. Yeah, I think the, all, I think they I mean, are very the, closely tied. Yeah, the, the Medal of Honor uh, recipients. I mean, they're all <laughs> they're, they're all courageous, courageous. individuals, yeah. right? But see, it, with courage, you have a uh, a mental courage, and then you have a moral courage too. Mm-hmm. So you have a you know willingness to sacrifice yourself, but then you also have a moral courage where you're willing to sacrifice your job, not necessarily your existence. Sure. So this, this is very asset. My point is, honor is uh, that quality that is uh, bigger than yourself. It's just bigger than yourself. That's why I like to pick uh, Admiral Borda. In his suicide note, he said it was for the honor of the Navy that he did that. He didn't want to stain the honor, integrity of the Navy. That's why he killed himself, which was terrible and misguided. But I understand, you know, his thought I, process. I, I respect his um, yeah. his decision. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't. He's definitely a man. He was definitely a warrior. Yeah. And he, he, he made a decision. Yeah, and it'd be all kinds of people, of course, that would be like, "Oh, that was ridiculous," and for all the reasons why they would give, but it's because they probably don't understand warrior virtues. Yeah, I mean, and I say uh, honor is at the ground floor. So as we go off into this discussion, as we, you know, we're going to wrap this up, but when we do the next ones, I mean, really everything builds on honor. You know, if you don't have honor, you can have as much courage as you want if it's not done honorably. And it's done wrong. It has to be done for the wrong reasons. Are we instilling that today in? No. In these. No. So the really. other the other question is. Um, we don't take time young, to do it. We just are, assume that it. Everyone well, are knows young it. warriors the, are young warriors um, still seeking honor? Yeah. Today, yeah, maybe more than ever. Not quite sure where is it elusive. Yeah, that's really, uh, now that is also a great argument. And, uh, you know, uh, Carl Jung made that argument that there was a, a subset of a hero archetype. It was a warrior. That's and right. and uh, warriors really, they uh, have uh, a sense that they needed to defend their family and their kindred and their kind. And so they're the ones who run to the sound of the guns. They're the ones that feel the need to take up arms to defend our our values and, and our, our liberties and our life. And so, yeah, they are the ones that uh, have a need for honor. I mean, honor is for them everything. If that's they don't right. have honor, then they have no life. And so that's why it's so important. And that's what we're about. Yeah. This is, this is, this, this program is for those. Yeah. Yeah. Those so, individuals. And, and the idea is when you're around, when you can sense honor also has a spiritual component and you know when it's done right, and you, you sense it in your soul that it's done right, and you're there, and you're witnessing it, and you know, wow, that is honorable. And you, it's, it's something that's sacred. That's, that's what's the quality of it. Well, I think we've laid a pretty good foundation today, yeah. at least of we talked about um, where we think um, we're at right now, um, some of the problems, why, why we are where we are, uh, we've talked a little bit about um, the state of ma- the masculinity and the state of our warrior class and where we think they need to go. And I think we've touched on the first virtue, um, introduced it, mm-hmm. uh, honor, and then I think um, we have a good starting pad, if you will, uh, to really kind of get into this uh, in our next episode. Right on. All right. Paul, I appreciate it today. Yeah, man. Uh, great conversation i'm glad you're writing this book i think it's going to be uh again something that's definitely timely and needed um more than ever we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the pine lander podcast if you enjoy our unique content please consider supporting our sponsors soft news providing special operations news from around the world it's where paul and i go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community check them out at soft.com news blacksmith publishing been serving the warrior class since 2013 
They have great titles written for warriors, by warriors. If you're looking for excellent reference material or just want to unwind with a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore located at blacksmithpublishing.com. And if you're looking for some cool Pinelander apparel, head on over to the General Store located at pinelandergeneralstore.com. That's all one word, pinelandergeneralstore.com. Have a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, artwork, and a whole lot more. Check out the store at pinelandergeneralstore.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, please consider donating to the American Agogi Project. The mission of the project is to foster an environment producing able-bodied citizen warrior men of fine character. And we'll be officially launching the project in 2023 in celebration of uh, Blacksmith Publishing's 10th anniversary. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.